We've been in the book of James the last couple of weeks, and we're going to press on. A few more passages this morning. <clears throat> Before we do that, I want us to pray together and um, pray for another church in our community in Greenville. And um, we've prayed for some of the churches uh, recently that are outside uh, the Greenville community. I know that um, Cross Point is made up of people from all over parts of Hunt County, but we are going to pray this morning for Ridgecrest Baptist Church, a church that was um, God really used to get this church going when a seed group of people came from there to help start this church. And so we're going to pray that there is captivated uh, by the word and the gospel, as we hope to be, and that we would be attentive and embracing who God is and what he means in the scripture this morning. And we're going to pray that for them too. So y'all pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we need you and we claim to be at your feet this morning, not the feet of any man or any ideas or opinions. And we pray that you would captivate the people of Ridgecrest. We pray that for us uh, and that we would be teammates for the gospel, and your glory, ultimately. I want to pray for all that lead at Ridgecrest, that you would give them your wisdom, that you would give them the wisdom that can only come from you, and how they lead and preach and teach there at Ridgecrest. We thank you for the people that you raised up and led to come here from that body, who were obedient, not knowing what was ahead, not knowing what this might look like, and not knowing how hard or how easy it would be. We're thankful for your glory in those folks that came. And we pray that we would honor and be obedient like that as we continue to engage your word and walk this journey of faith. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> We've been uh, discussing... And preaching through James, we've been talking about how this book, this book of James is not a real book. It is not a book that shows us, points us, or leads us to how to attain or retain salvation. It's not the point of James writing this book that he tell people how to attain salvation or how to retain their salvation. It's a book to God's converted people. And it's a book that really balances Paul. It's a book that really causes us to examine, if we're his sheep, what does our wool look like? And so we're going to gather some more wool this morning. We're going to look at um, uh, verse 5 through 8, but let's read again verse 1 together. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, chapter 1 of James. <clears throat> James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously 
to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Last week we looked at how God's people, his sheep, the good shepherd has sheep, and those sheep consider it joy to be in trouble and trial. It's absurd, it's unlikely, it's weird, it's different, <clears throat> and it goes against anything our flesh wants to hear, that we would consider it joy. We're going to look this morning at how God's sheep are a double-minded people. We're a double-minded people. We are double-minded sheep. We are prone to wander. We're leavers. We're not stayers in our own might. We are prone to leave, not stay and be steadfast. And so we're going to look at professing to be that and then believing that we have a good father. That in conjunction with believing and trusting that we have a good father, we have a good dad, produces a stability and a staying power in us, just like considering it joy to be in trial. The theme for chapter 1 is trial, temptation, trouble, affliction. That's kind of the theme for chapter 1, so it's going to stay with us. So verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom. It's almost as if James is saying, Anybody need help with verse 2 through 3? <laughs> Do you see it? It's, it seems like a transition. He says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. Consider that joy when you're in trouble. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, comma. Anybody need help with considering it joy in trial? I think we would all agree that that's where we landed last week. We can't muster that. We can't conjure that up. That's not a joy that we fabricate. So James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and some of you may be thinking, well, I got some wisdom. You know, I've, I've been on this journey a little while. There's some things I have in my back pocket and my faith that I have to pass on. There, there's some wisdom. Now, I wouldn't say I lack wisdom. I got some wisdom. What James is saying here is, in any circumstance, any kind of wisdom that you have, it comes from a generous father and a good dad. Here's the first caution. Profess to be unwise. Let's start there. Profess to be unwise. Don't turn there, but remember Romans 1.22. When that's talking about unrighteous people, and they're described like this. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Listen again. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I'll profess to be unwise. And that's where we start. God, I lack wisdom. I'm a double-minded man. I lack wisdom. I need you. That's where we start. Shepherds, it's very tempting for us to feel like as we engage this word and we go by through a week and we teach our family something and it goes pretty well. Shepherd's Guide time, maybe you get three or four in and it goes pretty good and you're thinking, I got something in my back pocket. I pass it on to my family. I got a little wisdom there. 
You know, my faith, I, I passed something along. And yet, we must be at the place where we say, unwise, I need more, and I need it again, and I will not find myself in the place that says, I am wise. This, this transition in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, we ought to find ourselves at the front of the room, in the seat, right up front, saying, me, 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 pick me. I'm unwise. I, I'm first in line. If any of you lacks wisdom, me, 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 that's me, please. I lack wisdom. That's where we start. If we're going to be stable, not tossed around by the wind, we start there. I'll profess to be unwise. If you're at a place where you feel like you're, take, you're, you're, you're placing your confidence in what you've learned, you're placing your confidence in where you've been, you're placing your confidence in having some truth in your back pocket, get ready to be made full of. Get ready for that. Stay in the place where you say, unwise. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Here, here's a people that's described as they stopped listening, they stopped learning, and they probably profess to have a little bit of truth, a little bit of faith in their back pocket. They've been on this journey. They feel like they've gotten something that's made them wise. Verse 11, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, talking about apostasy, and it is hard to explain since. Why is it hard to explain? Why is this a hard truth to talk about apostasy? Unrelated, but why is it hard to talk about this to these people? Because since you have become dull of hearing, you stopped saying, unwise, I need to learn, I'm listening, I'm teachable, I'm low in my own eyes. They stopped listening. They became dull of hearing. For though, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle, oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Here's the key, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. Insert wise for mature there. Same word, same thought. Solid food, more truth, more wisdom is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Wise people, truly wise people, say this, I'm not wise. I need more. I'm still teachable. I'm still listening. That is wise. Professing to be unwise, they became fools. Dull of hearing, now you're still on milk. You can't move on if you stop listening. If any of you lacks wisdom, me, that's where we stay. Do you see it? That's where we stay. And that's going to take us, at the end today, it's going to take us to st stability. And that's going to keep us, that's the first thing that's going to keep us from being tossed around by the wind. And I get a little tired of being tossed around by the wind. I, that wears me out. 
And I want stability. Where do we get it? Well, it starts with professing to be unwise. Hey, I just want to say this. This growth, this maturing, this wool that we're gathering, this should remind us that this wool that we have has absolutely nothing to do with what I can muster and fabricate. Nothing. I, I don't put this wool on. It grows out of me because of His Spirit in me. Do you see it? This, this has nothing to do with what I can muster. This has nothing to do with my good works. This has nothing to do with what I've learned so far. Wool on his sheep looks like this. I don't have wisdom and I need it, no matter how much wisdom I've gained before. It's not about the books I've read. It's not about the music I listen to now. That's not wool. It's not about the fact that I, I read Christian books and I listen to Christian music and I have a Crosspoint sticker on my car. That's not wool. I mean, that's cool that you put a Crosspoint sticker on your car. I've got one. But that's not wool. Do you see it? Wool is saying we are an unwise, teachable people ready to daily say, teach us God. Only wisdom comes from you. That's wool. If any of you Lacks wisdom. Back to James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, <coughs> let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. If we're going to say we don't have wisdom, if we're going to say I don't want to become dull of hearing, I want more wisdom, I am daily dependent upon God to give me the wisdom, the truth, to pass on and be a teacher like Hebrews 5 says. That's a scary place to be if it has nothing to do with what I can perform. That's a scary place of dependence. And here's the good news. You got a good dad. A good dad. And I don't know what your earthly dad looked like or acted like or whether that experience was good or bad or mediocre for you. But your heavenly father is a good dad and this should do two things. It should either affirm your dad experience on earth if it was good or it should correct your experience. He's the corrector. What you've experienced and seen with your eyes with a dad is either affirmed or corrected by your heavenly father. And he is a God, he is a dad, he is a father who gives what generously? Wisdom. To who? People who need it and say they need it. Who profess to be unwise, who profess dependency. He rushes to and gives generously to people who say, I need more, I need wisdom. And it says here, he does it without reproach. That's a great word. Here's what reproach is. It's reviling. It's holding it over your head that you need something. We've all done that to somebody that maybe we're jealous of and they come to you and need something and you rub the face in it. Oh, hmm, you need something from me now, huh? And you rub their face in a little. Maybe it, you couch it in nice terms. Our dad does not do that. He gives generously without reproach. I love the old English definition of reproach. And I found it, I don't even know where I found it, but I wrote it down and I'll keep it forever. It's reproach. To shove a favor in somebody's teeth. 
You need something? Here it is. I'm going to insult the fact that you need it and I got it. I'll insult you because you need something and I got it. I'm going to shove it in your face. You need food? I'm going to ram this cake down your throat. That's reproach. That's reviling. Pulling the rug out. And he does not do that with his sheep. He stands ready to give generously. To who? People who say, I lack wisdom. I need it. I'm listening. I'm teachable. I got a low view of myself. And he's a good dad to give generously to that. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Jesus explains this. So well, I hope this will paint a better picture for you here of a good dad who gives generously without reproach. Jesus adds something to this that's critical. Okay, look at Luke chapter 11, verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or, will, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, double-minded, double vision, insert whatever there, you know how to give good gifts to your kids, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He gives good gifts. He is a good Father. But what's absent here is that there is no promise in here or in James that we will get what we want. Do you see it? A good dad doesn't always give his kids whatever they want, even though they think they really, 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 really need it or really want it. They don't give it. What do they do? What does a good dad do? He gives them what's best, what they really need. A good dad gives what's best for his kid, what they really need. That's our Heavenly Father. He gives not only does he give it? He gives it generously. He lavishes to those who say, I need wisdom. I'm one of those lacking. I'm a lacking in the wisdom department. And he stands ready to be a good father, not to give exactly what we want, but to give exactly what we need, what is best for us. And we have to know those two things, that we are a double-minded people, our eyes are focused on the wind and the rain and the storm. And we have to know, I don't have the wisdom to get through this. I don't have the wisdom to lead this family. I don't have the wisdom to preach. I don't have the wisdom to teach. I don't have the wisdom to pass on anything to anybody else. I'm listening. Help me. I'm teachable. And I know this. I got a good dad who will give generously. And it may not play out like I would have planned it. It may not play out easy this wisdom that he gives me might come what did we learned last week this wisdom that he gives me might come through a trial this wisdom that he imparts and he gives generously might come through circumstances that are difficult but i know i got a good dad and i know this is best that's what i know and i know i need it do you see it we have a good dad who gives generously so we ask for and we pray like Elijah. 
what's best, what God wants. Remember when James, the first Sunday that I preached in James, we talked about Elijah. Elijah is set up by James as this man who prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. That's not a magic trick. Elijah is in tune with God and his purposes and his ways, so he prays what he knows God already wants. Do you see that? He knows that these people are thumbing their nose at God, and he knows that God is about to bring some judgment. So he prays and proclaims, it's not going to rain, because I know God. And this is what he wants. And that's the goal for our wool, our maturity, and our growth, is that we become a people in tune with God and his spirit, so that we pray like Elijah. We pray what we know God already wants. So we pray, our prayers change from, so many people have misinterpreted this passage in James to say, if you, we're about to get there, ask in faith, you'll receive it. Don't doubt. Don't doubt what? Don't doubt that he's going to give you what's best, not always what you want. So our prayers change too, like Elijah. We pray for what is best for us. And we leave that prayer Listen, we leave that prayer open-ended. Father, we lack wisdom. We need it. I'm listening. I'm teachable. You do what's best for us and your glory. You do. That's our prayer. Our prayers change. And that change is focus goes from what we want, what we think we need, and what we think we want. And it moves to, God, whew, we don't have any wisdom. We need you. You do what's best for us. You do what's best because you're a good dad and we know you're going to do that. And you do what's best for your glory. So that's how our prayers change. The third thing is, now don't confuse these two. We know that we have a good dad, but we believe him. It sounds so simple. It's the restatement of the obvious. The first duty of intelligent men is to restate the obvious. We know we don't have wisdom, we know he's a good father but we believe it. It goes from head to heart. We believe that he has our best interests and his glory at heart. We believe it. Look at verse 6, James chapter 1, verse 6. So you're an unwise people, you're a double-minded people, you're coming to a God, a good dad who gives generously without reproach, not reviling you, not holding it over your head, not pulling the rug out, do this. When you come and ask him for this wisdom, when you ask him for what's best, do it this way. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Ask in faith with no doubting. What does that mean? We come to this good dad, understanding that we need his wisdom daily, and we ask him and we believe him and we trust him. It's not trial. We're not putting him to the test. We're not saying, okay, preacher said that you're a good dad, so here you go. You do what's best for me. And then we shift to looking for what works out, what we think is best for us. I'm sitting, I'm going to wait. I'm going to put you to the test, God. I'm praying this, you do what's best. I'll see if it's what's best. That's not trust. Do you see it? That's, I'm still determined to get what I want. And that is the hard thing about praying, God, do what's best for us, and we'll trust you in whatever you do. That's hard. That's so difficult. But that's his sheep. We say, we 
believe you're good and you're going to give us what's best if we ask for it. And we trust you. We don't doubt that you will give us what we need. We don't doubt that you're not going to hand us a rock when we need fish. You're not going to give us a scorpion. You're going to give us what we need. We believe that. Hebrews chapter 11, turn there quickly. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us what to believe. All of this in the context of our faith. Do you see it? This is written, James is written to converted people who have faith in Christ and have faith in God. In the context of faith, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, that's the goal, that's the key, draw near to God to know his purposes and be in tune with him. We must believe, what? Two things, that he exists and there it is again, that he rewards those who seek him. That's what we believe about our God. We're a people that walk in this life, in work, in community with each other, in church, in every area of our life. It infects our faith looks like this. I'm not wise, but I have a good father. And he's alive. He exists. He's true. And he rewards those he gives good gifts to he does what's best for those who seek him that's what we believe and that leads us to stability and stay in the course and finishing i will approach him and i'll believe that he exists and i'll believe that he rewards those who seek him not necessarily that he'll give me what i want i will approach him I will believe that he exists and I will believe that he rewards those and wants what's best for me. Not just what I want. He won't revile you. He won't insult you. He won't shove it in your face. He's a good dad and he gives his kids what they need. We have to believe that not only does he exist, not only is he a good dad, but that he is generous and will do what's best for us. That's what we have to remember. That's what we have to believe. Otherwise, if we can't believe that, if we can't be a people who say, we don't have wisdom, we need it from you, we don't have maturity, we don't have wool, we need it from you, you're a good father. And not only do we know that, but we believe that you're always going to operate what's best for us, your kingdom, and your glory. If we're not there, listen, this is where we're going, it's the last point. If we're not there, we're going to get tossed around by this journey. We're going to get tossed around, confused, double-minded, double vision, straying, leaving, wandering. But not if we acknowledge that we need him for our wisdom, our maturity. And not if we believe him that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Finish verse 6. Chapter 1 of James. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's what happens when you don't believe that he exists, 
And then he rewards and wants what's best for us. And when you think you got enough wisdom for now, tossed around, double-minded people, that's who we are. I think that when we get into this place where we pray for something, and we pray wondering if it'll really happen like we've prayed for it to happen, I think that doubt that God would even want anything good for us is clouded by the fact that we're really praying for what we want and we're not yielding to a trust in Him. That's where the doubt enters in. The doubt enters in when we're not, remember like we talked about last week, renewing our mind, taking our mind's eye off of what we see and placing it on a good father. If we can't do that, we're going to get tossed around. We have to pray trust pray trusting that he'll give me what's best for me I'll profess to be unwise and I'll know I have a good father don't expect to get an answer verse 6 don't expect to get an answer or hear anything if you don't trust him don't, don't expect to see him prove himself and be faithful if you don't really trust that he is going to do what's best that's what James says don't expect anything don't expect that you're going to hear don't expect that if you're, if you're putting God to the test. Don't expect to hear anything or see that. Trust him. A double-minded man, a man, I love the definition um, in the Hebrew, a double-minded man was called a man with two souls. A man with two souls. Two visions. I see what I see and then I got faith. My mind's eye, my heart's eye. I got, I, I'm a double-minded man. And so I'm left with circumstances much like Peter in Matthew 14. Turn to Matthew 14, verse 30. Actually, verse 28. Matthew 14, verse 28. Look for these two things. Where are Peter's eyes and what did Jesus call it? Where are Peter's eyes and what did Jesus call it? Matthew 14, verse 28. And Peter answered him. Now Jesus is out on the water. They're scared. They see Jesus walking on the water. And here, enter the story. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw he looked he saw something circle the word saw underline it he saw when he saw what the wind when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out lord save me jesus immediately reached out his hand and it took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt we become tossed around when we doubt that we have a good father, we doubt that he has our best interest at heart, even when we're in absurd situations, I can't think of anything more absurd than walking on a lake. I mean, Peter starts with faith. He's not thinking about the water. He's thinking about Jesus. That, that's my teacher. That's Messiah out there. In his mind's eye, he's thinking, Let's do this. Let's go. You say, come out there and I'll do it. 
few steps into it, his mind isn't renewed, and he sees what? The wind. And he takes his mind off a good father, a good God, who says, I know it's absurd. I know it's crazy. I know the circumstances. Is, I know you're walking on water, but don't take your eye off of me. Don't stop trusting me. Don't stop listening to me. Don't stop looking to me. That's doubt. Don't doubt that he's got your best interest. Trust me. Trust me that what I give you is best. Even when you don't see it or feel it, or you're distracted by everything around you. If you don't trust me, expect to be tossed around. And and that's what God says to his sheep, his double-minded sheep. If you're not going to trust me, then you can expect to be tossed around by the wind. I don't know if, um, well, let me, let me read. Go back to James 1 real quick. Look at verse 7. This person who doubts, who doesn't trust in a good father, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I, this word kept coming up this week when I was studying this about this stability because this is scary. This unstable in all his ways? I, I, I wonder, I don't know, but some think that James is even talking about salvation there. If you can't trust him, what is that? So this is serious. So that unstable word was just ringing in my ears all week. And I kept thinking about, this word kept popping in my head, Stabilitrack. And I know I heard it on TV somewhere or a commercial. Stabilitrack. And you've probably heard it. It's GM. Chevrolet cars. All the GM vehicles have it. It started in 1997. GM introduced the Stabilitrack system. And they first started out just putting it in Cadillacs. So it was a luxury item at first. But now it's pretty much standard on most GM vehicles. Stabilitrack. And I thought, well, let's see if it applies. Listen to, uh, I went to the website. This is what Stabilitrack, this is the definition. Now, with what we've been, where we've been in scope, listen to what Stabilitrack, what they're promising this thing does. The Stabilitrack electronic stability control system helps you stay the course. By detecting the difference between the steering wheel angle and the direction the vehicle is actually turning. Paraphrase, the difference between you're freaking out with the steering wheel and what's really happening outside in the car. (laughs) Stabilitrack reads the steering wheel position and the amount of sideways force in play. Sideways force, idiot driver. That's just a nice way of saying that. Or rain, or whatever. Sideways force at play. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think most of the times the sideways force in my life is me. When I'm losing it, it's because of me. Stabilitrack reads the steering wheel position, the amount of sideways force in play, the speed of the vehicle, and the vehicle's response to the steering wheel input. It then uses the brakes and, if necessary, adjusts the engine torque to help keep your vehicle on track. Anti-lock braking systems and traction control are an integral part of the GM Stabilitrack electronic stability control system. You and I did not come equipped with Stabilitrack. 
We didn't. It would be nice if every time we entered a trial, this thing just took over and all the freaking out we do, it just gets corrected by the engine and the brakes. Born in sin, conceived in iniquity, double-minded people. That doesn't just happen. Stabilitrack doesn't kick in in the faith journey. I wish it did. But you didn't come equipped with Stabilitrack. And I didn't come equipped with a Stabilitrack system as much as I would like for that to be the case. James 4, 5 and 8. 5 through 8. Flip over there. This is Stabilitrack for us. You're going to see a good dad. You're going to see a double-minded people. You're going to see him elevating and exalting people who claim to be unwise. This is our stability track right here. Verse 5. Do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He is jealous after his sheep coming to him. Even though they don't. Even though they're double-minded. He is jealous over the spirit that he's given us to cause us to trust him. But he gives more grace. There's even more here. He's generously lavishing. You see it? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You claim to be wise? Get ready for a destruction. Get ready for a fall. But he gives grace to those who say, I don't have wisdom me, 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 me. That's me. I'm struggling with last week's sermon. I, I consider it joy is, is wearing me out. I, I need wisdom. I got a family to lead. I need wisdom. <coughs> submit yourselves, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. I have a good father. I have a good dad. I will submit to him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's Elijah. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You what? Double-minded. That's where double-minded people go. They start here. I don't have the capability for wisdom. I don't have the capability to lead. I don't have the capability to keep this thing in the middle of the road. I can't. But I got a good father who gives generously, without reproach. He is not trying to pull the rug out from under me. Storms come, when storms hit my vehicle and I can't keep it in the middle of the road, he's not trying to see how funny it is if I hit the ditch. He's trying to teach me, look, he's trying to teach me to trust Stabilitrack and not the one in GM. He's trying to teach me, trust me. Trust my spirit that I've given you. Trust The fact that I've given you a church. I've given you people of God to walk with through this. So when that wind comes, trust me. I'm the only way that you can keep it in the middle of the road. Don't be tempted to work harder, listen to different music, dress different, go to another church. Stay. How do you stay? Trust Him. Trust who he is and who he promises he will be.
Renew your mind. Keep your mind's eye on God. He is a good dad. He's a self-sacrificing savior. And he has, we have an eternal helper. That's his sheep. Let's pray. Father, we confess this morning, I confess, and on behalf of um, all of us, we confess that we are double-minded. We are prone to leave and not trust and to lose our composure. But we want to confess to you this morning and profess that we lack wisdom. We help us by your Spirit to stay teachable, to stay low in our own eyes and not have a high view of ourselves. And God, we pray that by your Spirit's help that we will trust you. We will know that you're a good dad and that we will believe it. God, we, it's hard. Help us know who you are and believe you. And depend on you and trust you. Ask you first. And I pray that that is the wool that you're putting on us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.